I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and welcome to the best of the Dinner Party Download 2010. Yes, we've put together some of our favorite segments from the last 12 months. Great. And uh, we're going to begin with our annual tradition, the best icebreaker joke of the year, as voted by you. Alas, it is not about a big fat orange head, nor praying parrots, or a selfish lobster. Or a senile Leonid Brezhnev. Oh, that's, it's my, really too bad. My personal fave. No, those were some of our favorite jokes of the year, but yours... People was told by author and roller derby queen Alex Axels of Evil Cohen. What do you get when you cross a brown chicken with a brown cow? Brown chicken, brown cow. There you go. You picked it, folks. For some reason. Coming up, our favorite stuff of the year, including Rain Wilson on his British brethren, a canine Molly Ringwald, the FBI versus Louis Louie, getting your goat, and our top tunes of 2010. That's quite the menagerie there. And, and quite the alliteration. But first, everyone, how about a big small talk? So, Rico, the headline theme of 2010, or one of them at least, sure. things happen in twos. All right, All evidence. Right. In food news, we saw, much to my joy, yes. uh, the macaroon overtake the cupcake in snack treat chic. We also, though, had the KFC double down overtake America's arteries. <laughs> <laughs> At last, a bacon and cheese sandwich served between two fried pieces of chicken. It's a glorious, glorious thing. And because America is a land of dignity. <laughs> because America, there were inventors. Right. That bodes well for our future. Sure. Well, we also had two characters who dominated the headlines for divulging too much information. All right. We had Julian Assange on WikiLeaks. Of course. And Kanye West on Twitter. That's right. Favorite tweet, quote, asked for decorating advice. Is the Versace sofa too hood? Might need to cover it in plastic. No way is it too hood. Yeah. Yeah, at one point he was gaining 80 new followers a second. Is that right? It's true. So he has more followers now than there are people yeah, in the world? That explains why his album sold so well. And finally, uh, two holes in the ground made news this year. The oil spill in the Gulf endlessly spewed everything from the center of the earth except the Chilean miners Yay. who we had to pull out ourselves. That's, hell yeah, we pulled them out ourselves. In that little that little rocket ship looking thing. Which was beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, those were some of the headlines we'll remember, but with help from our friends at Marketplace, here's a look back at our favorite lesser known stories from the year, lest we forget. What story are you gonna be talking about this weekend? Designer abductions. It's a new French company that will allow people to pay 1,200 bucks to be kidnapped. Well, I'm going to be talking about a library book borrowed by our president, George Washington, and it was finally returned this week 221 years late. What's the return fees on that? $300,000. Well, there's a new study out that found that more than 90% of U.S. toddlers have an online presence, like an email address or a social, like a Facebook page or something. <laughs> this could explain Twitter. Yes. Well, India and Bangladesh have been fighting over this mile-long island since the 1970s, and a researcher was looking at satellite photographs this weekend. The island's gone. What? Yeah, they assumed that because of global warming, it just disappeared back into the sea. <laughs> 
but now, but see, now there's going to be a new war as uh, pacifists and environmentalists fight over who gets the use of that metaphor. Iceland, you know, obviously they've been having problems with, you know, bank crises and volcanoes and stuff. So the manager of tourism asked Icelanders all around the world to email everybody they knew a message of love about Iceland and what a great place it is. Wait, so let me get this straight. They're using spam to make themselves more popular? Way to go. So in Holland, some thieves waited till some inmates from a Dutch prison were let out on furlough and stole the TVs from their rooms. They stole TVs from a prison? Yeah, it's win-win, it's because if they get caught, they get to watch the TVs anyway. Uh, this trader just got fined $100,000. He got drunk, and he bought a half a billion dollars worth of oil futures. <laughs> Did that pay off for him? Actually, his company lost $10 million, and he actually pushed the price of oil up to a record high last year. I think we owe this guy a great debt. It's like, no matter what mistakes we make while drunk, at least we didn't buy a half a billion dollars in oil futures. I know, I feel so much better about a couple of really unfortunate karaoke incidents. And now, time for cocktails. Now this is the part of the show where we tell you something that happened in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a 2010 calendar, but you can't read anything you scribbled on it anymore because it's been soaking in a puddle of booze. Wow. After a New Year's party or something. Poor Bo Derek in a bikini. <laughs> that's right. She's all wrinkly now. <laughs> yeah. Because of the booze. She's probably, that's probably true. <laughs> so for this best of show, we're peeling back those soggy calendar pages to May of last year. Yes, that's when Michelle Philippi told us about one of the FBI's strangest cases. In the mid-60s, American taxpayers funded a two-year investigation of a frat party song. <laughs> More precisely, THE frat party song, a.k.a. Louie Louie by the Kingsmen. Now, the tune was originally performed in the 50s by doo-wop band The Pharaohs. In their version, you can hear the lyrics nice and clear. It's the lament of a Jamaican telling a bartender, Louie, about the girlfriend he left across the sea. But the Kingsman's cover in 1963 was anything but clear. Recorded in one take for a grand total of 36 bucks, the vocals were garbled beyond recognition, which made it a great song to drink tons of beer to. And that's probably how the rumors began. Drunken frat kids swore they heard something dirty in the mumbled lyrics. Yeah, something about <gasps> sex or something. Parents caught wind of the rumor and were certain they could hear filthy obscenities too. Soon the song was banned in Indiana and the FBI was on the case. Agents spent months interrogating the Kingsmen and listening to Louie Louie over and over again. They tried to decipher the lyrics. Was the line, me gotta go? Or grab her way down low? FBI lab technicians analyzed the tune at every possible speed. Their final conclusion? Uh, not sure. The Bureau's final report declared the song, quote, unintelligible at any speed, and therefore pretty hard to label obscene or otherwise. Louie Louie went on to become one of the most covered pop tunes ever, even though most people still have no idea what the song's about. No, 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 no. 
So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. I'm on the line with David Welch. He is a bar manager and co-owner of the excellent restaurant Lincoln in the Kingsman's hometown of Portland, Oregon. And David, you've heard the history. What drink does it inspire you to make? Well, I was thinking, seeing as how the Kingsmen deem themselves the ultimate party band, I thought we would make the ultimate party drink. So, uh, so and... it's Budweiser and Jägermeister. <laughs> Even better, how about a kamikaze? Oh, that, yeah. it's been a long time. It has. The kamikaze is one of those drinks that you would suck down in college. So I thought I would, uh, since we're a little more grown up like the Kingsmen are now, I thought <laughs> I'd, I'd make an adult version of the kamikaze. So classic kamikaze is equal parts vodka, uh, orange liqueur, so like a triple sec or Cointreau, uh, and lime juice. I don't think I ever knew that, and I don't think I ever cared. It really is a delicious cocktail if it's made carefully. So the adult version uh, uh, we can call the Louie Louie. Of course. And it's made equal parts. uh, I'm going to call for a specific vodka. This is a Portland-made vodka called Madoyoff. So one ounce of Madoyoff vodka, Mm -hmm. one ounce of fresh-squeezed lime juice. Excellent. And then instead of triple sec or Cointreau, I'm going to throw a little curveball, and we're going to use a liqueur called Aperol which is a rhubarb and orange liqueur, sort of in the Campari family. Think of it as a little bit sweeter. All right. It seems, it seems unusual that we'd be drinking such a highfalutin thing while listening to such a, a song that was recorded for 36 bucks. But <laughs> is there a cheapness anywhere in this drink? Uh, the cheapness is going to be when you shake it and shoot it. How does that sound? <laughs> and then you can slur your words just like the Kingsman. Exactly. So, Rico, as I mentioned when that aired, the FBI continues to investigate REM's early work. That's right. They still haven't cracked that case. But I, uh, frankly, I don't think we're going to get a breakthrough on that case until WikiLeaks releases Michael Stipe's notes. <laughs> I'm looking eagerly forward to you that. You know, Julian Assange kind of looks like Michael Stipe in a wig. What do you think of that? Is that true? Er- early Stipe? I can see that. That is kind of true. Alert the FBI. Oh, I think you're right. <laughs> we have to contact them immediately. Folks, uh, you can send your tips dinnerpartydownload.org will pass them on to the appropriate authorities. Stay away from Chronic Town. So after cocktails comes our guest of honor segment, and we've had some really amazing guests this year, thanks in no small part to our Uber intern. Intern doesn't give him justice. He's more like an Uber general admiral commander. Jackson Musker. He's been a wonderful addition, and he's been helping us get these great guests. It's true. Thanks to his stalking abilities, we have talked to folks like Rapper Kid Cudi a couple weeks ago. That's right. Uh, Brendan spoke to Judd Apatow. We spoke to Spike Jones, Venus Williams, Panda Bear, Gary Steingart. It's ridiculous. And all of them were great sports when we finally revealed, no, we actually are not going to give you the diamonds and gold we promised. That's right. So while we were there, we talked all we could about their projects, and we also asked them our two standard questions. The first question being, what question are you tired of being asked? We should call it, what question are you tired of asking? That, that's <laughs> Which would be appropriate for us. Yeah. But anyway, this that question is how we deflect blame for asking the obvious question, which we all want to hear. It's like an interview jiu-jitsu. Right. Now, it doesn't always work. Like, for instance, when I tried it out on Victor Vasquez of hip-hop duo Das Racist. What questions shouldn't we ask you? Uh, um, Hmm. best answer we've ever had. (laughs) Depends on who's asking and why, maybe. (laughs) Well played, Vasquez. That's right. We shall meet again. (laughs) Now, I use the same maneuver on actor Rain Wilson from TV's The Office, and the technique worked beautifully. What question are you tired of being asked? 
Number one is, are you a fan of The English Office? That was 10 years ago. Stop asking me about The English Office. Yes, we are all fans of The English Office. It is brilliant. Please don't ever ask an Office cast member what they think of The British Office. It drives me crazy. Well, of course, I didn't ask you that because I only watch The English Office. You're such snobs. <laughs> yes, victorious jujitsu snobs, Wilson. That's right. I really have to check out his American version sometime. I heard it was all right. Now, the good news is, even if that first question doesn't result in awesome surprises or fun answers like that one, our question two is perfectly calibrated to get our guests to tell us something we don't know. Because the question is, tell us something we don't know. Genius. You know? Is the patent on that coming? I yeah. don't know. So the answers we get to this question can be personal, like when director Sam Tellerwood showed us her tattoo. But by the way, in the original interview, you never said where that tattoo was. Can you tell us, or is it pornographic? We'll, we'll talk about that later. But her husband was in the room. He has the same tattoo, so... All right. Strange things happen in these hotels. Right. We're going to leave it to the audiences. But along with imaginations. <laughs> but along with personal things like tattoos, we also hear trivial things like when actor Sally Hawkins told us that crows remember human faces. Yes. Scaring the heck out of us. <laughs> but Robert Siegel, the writer of the movie The Wrestler and the former editor of The Onion, he did trivial and personal. Well, I just learned Hitler was a vegetarian. Really? Yeah, that's an interesting factoid. It is. As far as me, I mean, everyone in your audience knows nothing about me, so I could say uh, I have brown hair, and that would be an interest. Not interesting, but something they didn't know. <laughs> that's true, although there will probably be a photo of you accompanying this podcast, so I don't think that's going to blow anyone's mind. Well, it's a headshot, so they won't know that I'm 5'11". <laughs> oh, my God. I'm tall for a Jew. Um, I'll, I'll give you some more factoids. I, I, I ate my first salad at age 24 at a Red Lobster. You're making that up. No, no, I, I never ate vegetables. I was a picky eater as a kid, and it extended into my uh, young adulthood. I was also uh, one of people's most eligible bachelors for 2001 <laughs> when I was at The Onion, which I got a ton of crap for. Is it, are these really true? No, these are true. These are true. I was circumcised by Jackie Mason's brother. What? You know Jackie Mason? Yeah, he's a famous, you know, Jewish comedian. Yeah, yeah, of course. For those who don't know. He's performing in L.A., actually, as we speak, I think. Okay, well, his brother is performing a bris as we speak. <laughs> Although he's pro I hope he's retired because his, I would imagine his hands are a little shaky by this point. Did he do an okay job with you? I don't know. I, yeah, it, it's, he seemed to, it's, I have no foreskin, so <laughs> what else could I ask for? That's still an uncomfortable moment for me. I was just following where he <laughs> led me, man. Seriously, it's his fault. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know what hotel room you... I don't know what you were doing in that hotel room, but... Anyway, this year we just so happened to speak to another People Magazine sexiest person, author Sebastian Younger. Yes, who put out a book and a documentary about the war in Afghanistan. If it isn't clear, by the way, we're dying to figure out what it takes to be on that list. He didn't give us any tips about how to get into People Magazine, but he did tell us something we didn't know. Well, here's something kind of interesting. In my book, I was trying to understand how courage works. I mean, it's an odd thing to do. You sacrifice your life for someone else. And what I found is that human beings are the only species where a young male, or female for that matter, will risk or sacrifice his life defending a peer that he is not related to. In Darwinian terms, it's a very puzzling choice to make. You throw yourself on a hand grenade, you save everyone else in the bunker, they pass on their DNA and your courageous DNA gets wiped out right then and there and does not get passed on. I was thinking, is that one of the things that we can learn from soldiers in, that we can bring back to civil society? Well, I think um, what, one of the things soldiers miss, and they do miss it, you know, they come back from their tour of duty and they want to go back. What they miss is the security of brotherhood. It's an understanding that you will put the welfare of the group above your own personal welfare. 
If you can bring that back a little bit, I think it would do society a tremendous amount of good. Man, once again, thank you to those people who sacrificed their DNA so our weaker DNA could survive. You know, and one reason we were glad to be alive in 2010 came in the form of actress Molly Ringwald. She was exactly what you want your fake Gen X big sister to be. Big sister? Yeah. I was thinking, you know, Gen X girlfriend. You can talk to her about that. But in any case, I think we both agree this was our favorite moment of the year. I can bark like a dog incredibly realistically. (laughs) <laughs> it just so happens I have a microphone here to record the proof. Make you close your eyes, though, so you get the full effect, okay? Right. Okay. That was good, right? <laughs> that was good. It was really good. Can you do more than one? Yeah, I can. Make you close your eyes again. <laughs> Where and ha- why the hell did you learn to do that? I think I- I'm... How did I do it? I think I had a dog and I was trying to sort of communicate with the dog, you know, at age eight or nine. And I discovered that I can make the same sound. But does it work? Do you, are you like the Pied Piper of dog? I am. I have no idea what I'm saying, but they get very excited. Next fundraiser, we're making that available as a ringtone. No question. Now it's time for the main course, the most delicious part of our show. Yes, this is where we use our press credentials to extort free food from unsuspecting shops and restaurants. And this year, it yielded us two spots on Food & Wine Magazine's 40 Big Thinkers Under 40 list. Thank you. Which I still don't know what the big think about that whole (laughs) thing, but it was exciting. I think it means the portions of free food we get will be 40 times bigger. And so then next year, we too will be... Right. We will be 40 times bigger and we'll take up more spots on the list. I gotcha. But anyway, this year we gobbled Chinese BBQ turkey. We ate World War II era food in London. Uh, we renamed the Mexican dish Huit La Coche. We did a lot of work. We Pulitzer, Seriously. here we come. And yet I still live in an apartment. <laughs> I think by this time it would be palatial. But our, our favorite segment wasn't even a food item. It was actually a food processor. Yes, it was a goat. Urban farmers are becoming more adventurous and they're starting to raise goats. So I spoke with seasoned urban farmer Novella Carpenter about what people should know before they get their... Well, you know. If chickens are like marijuana, then goats are like cocaine. It's a little bit difficult and expensive to acquire, and you need some extra space. And, you know, so. And they make you dance all night? Yeah, they make you dance all night. (laughs) But um, so goats are definitely advanced, and I would not recommend it as a first thing that you get. Goats, are they even legal to have? Yeah, actually, it is legal to have goats in Oakland. Um, You can't have male goats because male goats smell really bad, as I found out when we had Mr. Lincoln come visit the farm uh, for a couple days for stud service. (laughs) Wait, Mr. Lincoln is the stud goat? Yeah, Mr. Lincoln. He has a long, righteous beard. So he, like, kind of moved in with the girls, and at first they were playing it cool. You know, they didn't even look at him or pay attention, and then they started to smell that odor that he has. Oh, Mr. Lincoln. Oh, it's so alluring. And you know what that is? Is actually they pee on themselves. (laughs) See, that never worked for me in college. (laughs) I know. Try it again. It's coming back. Well, can we meet the goats? Yeah, let's go meet BB and Ginger. Are they going to attack me? No. They're sweet. Look at them. They're little angels. They are cute. Look at that one. It's like kind of caramel colored. Yeah, that's Ginger. Oh, wait. She's Ginger colored. And then that's BB. I bought her and she, her name was BB. I kind of hate that name. Like the fashion line BB? Yeah, exactly. Does she wear trashy dresses? <laughs> and sparkles. <laughs> Hi, Ginger. These guys are both pregnant. You can't, I mean, maybe you can't tell. The untrained eye might not be able to. Yeah. 
I can't tell, but I did notice she wasn't drinking. Yeah, well, she's not smoking either. It's amazing what she's given up for these babies. So what do they do all day? They just lounge. See, look at them lounging and like finding places to scratch themselves. And they're not gonna like bite my head off. No, I don't. People are scared because they have those satanic eyes, but you shouldn't be scared. They're totally friendly. They're not gonna bite. Um, but don't they eat cans and stuff? No, that's such a myth. Like, people are always like, oh, goats, they'll eat anything. I mean, not really. All right, well, the reason you have these goats isn't because they're cute, right? Well, they're um, what I call uh, pets with benefits. <laughs> Their milk is so good. And then it makes really, really creamy, yummy cheese, too. So how often do they have to be milked? A lot of people who have goats milk them twice a day, so every 12 hours. But I want to have a social life, so I milk them only once a day. What is their life expectancy? Not We don't have to say it in front of them. You can just whisper it to me. I know. BB's getting close, too. Really? How old? An old goat, 12 years, maybe. Um, but after they um, ha- are done giving birth, you can just send them off to some petting zoo. How is she going to feel? Like, you know, you're not there for her golden years? You know, it's not like that. We're not best friends. You know, we don't have like deep conversations over coffee. You know, I still regret not inviting Mr. Lincoln on as a guest of honor. I mean, I wanted to check that righteous beard. I think we could have learned some stuff. I'm I'm sure he could tell us a lot of things we don't know. And that's the dinner party download for this year. It's been fun, and uh, lots of people helped us make it that way, including Jackson Musker, Christiania Clark, Eve Tro, Judy McAlpin, Peter Clowney, Ellen Gutler, Delassie Michalis. Also, J.J. Yore, Bill Davis, Craig Curtis, Steve Nelson, Madeline Brand, Kristen Mueller, the Marketplace Engineering crew and staff, Man. our parents, Kike's Tacos. Yes. Wouldn't survive without them. No way. And you. Thanks, audience. Thank you. And uh, now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner parties. And as per tradition, it's actually two for the road. We each select our favorite song of the year. And we had a ton of great music on the show this year. And then we had music that we have the full rights to. (laughs) (laughs) A smaller but equally auspicious set of tunes. And standouts for me were Best Coast, a local L.A. band here, and Fang Island made with their glorious party sounds. But the song that became my companion for much of the year was Ariel Pink's Round and Round. Mm. It's just got such a nice cruising vibe. And choosing it, frankly, is kind of cheating because it's actually like three songs wrapped into one, which I'm sure KFC is going to do something with. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a three-layer cake for your ears. Yum. Let's roll it.
Heartbreaking everything is my fault Sentimental Heartbreaking everything is my fault Hold on, I'm calling, calling back to the boat And we'll dance Doesn't that inspire you to hold on, Rico? Wherever would you get that idea? <laughs> That's I think you're reading into that tune. All right, so what do you got? <laughs> uh, it was tough to pick a song of the year. You can go to dinnerpartydownload.org to find a list of some of the stuff that didn't make the cut. But the song that stuck with me is from rapper Sage Francis and his album Life. Sage's poetry and the music by Jan Tiersen, who did the score for the movie Amelie, combine into something pretty grand. This is called Best of Times. Bon appétit. It's been a long and lonely trip, but I'm glad I took it, because it was well worth it. Got to read a couple books and do some research before I reached my verdict. Never thought that I was perfect, always thought that I had a purpose. I used to wonder if I'd live to see my first kiss. The most difficult thing that I did was recite my own words at a service, realizing the person I was addressing probably wasn't looking down from heaven, or cooking up something in a hell's kitchen, trying to listen in, or eavesdrop from some other dimension. It was self-serving, just like this is. Conveniently religious, on Easter Sunday and on Christmas, the television went from being a babysitter to a mistress. Technology made it easy for us to stay in touch while keeping a distance, so we just stay distant and never touched. Now all we do is text too much. I don't remember much from my youth, maybe my memory is repressed, or I just spent too much time wondering if I'd live to have sex. I fell in love for the first time in fourth grade, but I didn't have the courage to talk to her. In eighth grade, I wrote the note and slipped it in somebody else's locker. Considered killing myself because of that. It was a big deal. It was a blown cover. It was over for me. My goose was cooked. Stick a fork in me. The jig is up. Blew my chances. The rest is history. Our future was torn asunder. It became abundantly clear. I was only brought here to suffer. At least I didn't include my name. Thankfully, I wrote the whole note in code, and it had ten layers of scotch tape safety seal, making it impossible to open. Plus, it was set to self-destruct. Whoever read it probably died laughing. I wonder if they lived long enough to realize what happened. A year later, I came to understand that wasn't love that I was feeling for her. I had someone else to obsess over. I was older. I was very mature. I forged my time signature while practicing my parents' autograph because I was failing math. Disconnected the phone when I thought the teacher would call my home. 
checked the mailbox twice a day. At the end of a long dirt road, steamed open a couple envelopes, like I was in private detective mode. If you snoop around long enough for something in particular, you're guaranteed to find it. For better or worse, that's how I learned it's best to just keep some things private. It was the best of times. It was the end of times. Child with a pen and pad, writing a list of things I could never have. Walls in my house were paper thin, every squabble seemed to get deafening. If my memory served me correctly, I made it a point to avoid and forget some things. Proudly to keep from being embarrassed, never meant to upset or give grief to my parents. Kept my secrets, hidden my talents in my head, never under the mattress. Therapy couldn't break me, never learned a word that would ensure safety, so I spoke softly. And I tiptoed off in the door to my room was like a big old coffin. The way that it creaked when I closed it shut, anxiety's peak when it opened up. As if everything that I was thinking would be exposed, I still sleep fully clothed. It was the best of times. It was beautiful, it was brutal, it was cruel. It was business as usual, heaven, it was hell. Used to wonder if I lived to see 12. When I did, I figured that I was immortal. Loved to dance, but couldn't make it to the formal. Couldn't bear watching my imaginary girlfriend bust a move with any other dudes. Tone love was talking about a wild thing, but I was still caught up with some child things. Scared of a god who couldn't spare the rod, it was clearly a brimstone and fire thing. Pyromaniac, kleptomaniac, couldn't explain my desire to steal that fire. Now I add it to my rider, like, please, oh, please don't throw me in that patch of briar. It was the best of times. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and for those of you who always stick around for that little Easter egg of comedy at the end of the show, here's an Easter egg omelet. Package for the DPD from Guam. Oh, it's a box. It's in there. I don't know. Let's see. Ow! Oh, and a brutal body slam from Beckett. Drop the microphones, you obscene scumbag! I claim your microphone stands for the land of Lake Wobegon. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Disarming reminder of this show's charm. Woody responds. Laugh. <laughs> Laugh. Bravo! Thank you. Thank you. Whoa! Rico! And see, Mom, we can make a living doing nothing. <laughs> I'm in trouble with Diplo's mom. Excuse my entrance. Julie Christie? Run for it. It's the crow I threatened in the parking lot! Chillax, Rico. Side effects of the dinner party download may include increased loquacity, irrepressible charm, popularity, joie de vivre, a taste for gin, and irrational anger around small baked good items. If post-dinner party download euphoria lasts for more than five hours, administer half-liter doses of Prosecco while listening to Astrid Gilberto and swinging from a hammock. <laughs> <laughs>